Hi, everybody. It's Kim Winter again uh, from Logistics Executive Group. Welcome to our leadership and, uh, and industry insights sessions for the year. Um, great to have me, with me today, Abhishek Shah from RSA Global. Hey, Abhishek, how are you going? Hi, Kim. How's it going? Thank you very much for having me. Excellent. Um, I hope well, you're well. Yeah, no, well, and, and, and you too, of course, um, in these, in these uh, times of COVID. So, um, Abhishek, I, you know, you're a, you're a really interesting character. I've known you now for, for many years. Uh, you're, you're well known in the Gulf area. Um, but before we get into uh, RSA Logistics and your business interests and leadership, um, I'd really like to uh, have you talk about your personal upbringing, um, where you come from, where you grew up, and what are the sort of things that influenced you along your career and how you got to where you got to. Absolutely. Now, again, thanks so much for the opportunity. So my story actually begins in, uh, uh, in East Africa. Um, so by my family and by heritage, we are of Indian uh, descent, um, but my parents migrated to Nairobi in Kenya um, uh, aim to start their journey together uh, early in their uh, life. So I was born and brought up in Nairobi in Kenya, um, which is a fantastic place to be uh, brought up in, in, in sort of the, the 90s. Um, and, and, and the whole uh, premise there was, you know, the element of nature, the element of the raw um, African uh, continent or East African element that just had so much to offer. Um, and that's where I sort of did my uh, uh, junior school and part of high school. Um, before the family moved to Dubai um, in the early 2000s, primarily for better education and, and, and a whole lot of uh, you know, sort of quality that was that was that was sort of demanded of, of, of our lives at the time. Um, and I mean, family-wise as well, my father was is, is a big influence in, in sort of who I am today as well. And he is a first-generation entrepreneur, um, so he had a lot of uh, entrepreneurial journeys. And or at that time, he was called a businessman, right? Um, and, and, and he did many, many things. And, and from a young age, I was always around it, always experiencing it, always being exposed to potentials when it came to uh, how the business, uh, business world worked. Um, and, and in Dubai, you know, we, we, I went through high school here um, uh, in, in the UAE uh, and then went on to UK to do my um, uh, higher studies at, at, at the University of Warwick where I studied engineering, um, which was a phenomenal time to get exposed and learn who you are as an individual, learn what you like and don't like, what you can tolerate and not, um, um, but more often than not get involved and really experience what the world had to offer. So that was my first true experience um, overall before then getting into the world of supply chain, uh, which I'm sure, sure we'll talk about. Sure. So now, of course, I've, I've met your father uh, as well, AJ, and uh, he's another very well-known character in the Gulf, um, an entrepreneurial Leader, as as you mentioned, and he's he's very well known in industry here. Was the family involved in logistics or supply chain in in Kenya, or was that something that you got into just there in the, in the Middle East? No. So my father's uh, background was, you know, uh, agriculture, um, sort of farming, um, 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 low income uh, housing estates, uh, real estate projects, developments, etc. So we never really had any sort of experience in supply chain. I mean, the idea of supply chain came about when uh, um, in, in, in the UAE in the, in the early 2000s, when there was a massive surge of, of demand of everything in this market. Um, there, was a, there was a gap in commercial, uh, or sorry, industrial real estate that needed to be filled. 
Um, so given his real estate background, my father built a couple of facilities um, for, from a, as a real estate play and leased them out to some customers. And then that sort of is where my window of opportunity came in. As I was studying in, in the UK, I did a supply chain module and I asked my father, why don't we try and do a, uh, a service business out of that um, rather than just be a real estate on, on that. And, and he only looked at me and said two things. So one is, you take care of the people, you take care of the customers. I don't want to deal with that. Uh, so I think that was that was the deal. And that's how we sort of founded uh, RSA Global together uh, uh, while I was still studying in university um, in 2007. Right. And, and of course, you guys took, took to really big risks back in the day. I remember coming through here uh, 20 years ago or so and uh, the, the second big airport, Dubai South or DWC in those days was being built some uh, 40 kilometres or so from uh, DXP Airport. Most people thought that uh, anybody to do with the airport was crazy and the, the free zone down there, but of course the government succeeded as it has with many, many projects up here as a, as a greensfield or uh, a desert field uh, project. And, and, and I remember the stories you were telling me some years ago that when you first set up your, uh, your warehouses in uh, Dubai South, as it's now known, um, you had camels wandering through from the desert coming through your warehouses. <laughs> Absolutely. I think, yeah, a lot of that, uh, um, you know, uh, confidence in us comes from sort of the leadership of how this place is run. And, and, and a couple of things that attracted us very much was the regulatory change that they had of how you could operate and run a service business in the UAE. That's what attracted to us when this project was launched in, in sort of the mid-2000s. Um, and we were the first company to start uh, uh, operations here in, in, by March 2009. And all that was planned with the airport being the catalyst of, of an economy, which is due to open in 2008. We all know that didn't go to plan. Uh, and of course, that, that did have some challenges for us because, you know, we were a brand new company with no reputation in a zone or a geography or a zone that, that nobody knew existed, right, of, of Dubai South, like you mentioned. So uh, we did have some very tough days in the early time. And, and again, a lot of credit goes to, to our founding team and, including my father, for weathering that period. And yes, we actually do have a beautiful photo of our main gate, uh, uh, which is still our headquarters today from the first building that we built, uh, with, a, with a string of wild camels just, just sitting outside. And, and subsequently, that has been developed into our expansions. So there is a, a great story that's followed, but it, it is a, a, fond, a fond memory that we remember uh, uh, overall. Awesome. Yeah, I've been to your office and seen some of those uh, fantastic photos from way back. Hey, let's uh, let's dive down a little bit on on the business. Um, you you're well known as an extremely entrepreneurial uh, risk taker. I would I would term. Uh, you, you've been first off the blocks in, in many sectors. You, you guys have realised RSA Global is, is recognised as, as a leader in many spaces in the logistics and supply chain space here. You personally, of course, have been uh, recognised in a whole raft of awards over, gee whiz, I guess, last 10 or 15 years um, for not only your entrepreneurial uh, exploits, but uh, the innovative way in which you go away, uh, go about your business. You've partnered with some of the world's biggest companies to bring joint ventures and partnerships into the UAE in particular. I know you've got interests in other countries and well, and as well, and we've worked with you in uh, North Asia in particular as you've expanded there. Talk to me a little bit about um, 
your business strategy, the way you've approached the market here. I mean, uh, as a as a leading regional player, you've been up against the the biggest companies in the world in terms of three PL uh, logistics and uh, freight forwarding. Um, what what's been your philosophy? How have you gone about uh, developing the business successfully the way that you have? Yeah, no, I think it's it's important to understand how the journey began, right? So I sort of gave you a little bit of that snippet of, of what we found ourselves in. Because when we were actually building the, the, the service side of it, there was no issue of demand at that point. Because in 2007, 2008, things were phenomenal, right? And then at the end of 2008 is when things got a bit more challenging. Um, so I only graduated in 2009 from the UK. Um, and, you know, we were coming back. So uh, at the same time, the business was going to sort of um, take off. But obviously, that didn't happen. Um, so then I, I took the uh, initiative to basically try and get an unpaid internship in Singapore to learn logistics from, from one of our partners. So I spent uh, six months at APL Logistics in Singapore um, um, and, and doing every job from you know, filing documents to running the warehouse floor to actually picking product um, and then you know, doing the reporting side. I think that, that element helped me shape what is the expectation of customers in this industry. Um, and then when I came back to that, combined with that education and that very limited experience, there was three key things that we wanted to do. Um, so one was we saw the gap in the market of using technology, that simple technology, but actually making it work for customers' benefit. High quality assets that today weren't really that, that uh, um, available at that time. And thirdly was coupling those top two things with great service, right? So giving that personalized service um, uh, to the customer. Um, and then as that went along, I very quickly realized that to be effective in the logistics game, you kind of need to have a multi-party, multi-geography presence. Um, and, and, you know, there's multiple failures along the way, but given our background from East Africa, we opened an office there straight away to try and do a trade lane management from that perspective. Um, and even though that had moderate success, uh, uh, it, it taught me that what was your core competency is what you need to focus on. And at that point in time, our core competency was managing the four walls. So the contract logistics side of the business was what our core competency and strength was. So then we looked at how do we horizontally grow that um, um, uh, service base. So from being only a general cargo facility, we then moved into spare parts and automotive. Then we moved into a joint venture with the German company, uh, the Talke Group, for only petrochemical and chemical. Then we moved into cold chain. Now we're very heavily into fulfillment and e-commerce uh, and the likes there. So we built that horizontal capability and then now as the company's gone on, we've had to obviously uh, offer our customers a full suite of services going forward. So in hindsight, to ask you how we built the strategy, of course, a lot of it is trial and error, but it was much to do with um, making sure we put technology and service at the, uh, at the element. And then the third pillar would probably be collaboration, that we could achieve a lot more value for our customers by collaborating rather than trying to do everything by ourselves. Sure. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing that. Now, and you, you, you're also very well known for uh, your approach to environmentally friendly um, business operations and, in particular, sustainability. Talk to us a little bit about your approach to sustainability in, in an area where you know sustainability is a factor, but you know it's still a growing influence on businesses here. But you've been a leader in that space as well. So, so I think, Kim, that, that one is, it comes from um, the, the value system of the company. Um, so I think one of our uh, key messages is that our core purpose for RSA is solving challenges for better tomorrow. 
and, 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 and what that statement really means is the challenges means the customer's problems, what the demand side sees as an issue, but that better tomorrow doesn't only mean uh, uh, you know, environmental sustainability, but it's about uplifting the people around us and giving them a better leg in life and, and making sure that they continue to grow. So every, every day is better than the one previously is what we're trying to build over here. So 100% at the heart of what we're talking about, sustainability is a big part of it. Coupled with one of our key values is that we are health, safety, security, environment, and quality masters. We have done certain initiatives over our period of time to help us sort of um, offset not only a carbon footprint, but make sure that we're being responsible in any way. So I'll give you three examples of things that we've done over, over the time. So one was we were the first industrial um, uh, um, uh, facility in, in Dubai to actually start with the solar, solar roof co rooftop concept um, in early 2017 um, because regulation allowed it. And we actually visited this in 2015, but regulation wasn't ready yet to allow for the net metering concept. So we've got a great partner there. And uh, uh, we've now been able to expand that to over four megawatts of power right across all of the group's facilities in the UAE. Secondly, um, we have a, a tank cleaning facility and, a, uh, and, and we use a lot of water in that for cleaning our chemicals and tanks, the diesel tanks that come through the yard. Um, um, so obviously that uses a lot of water in this part of the world, water is very expensive. Um, um, so we, we installed a complete recycling plant where we actually have our own bioreactor, where we actually nurture and, and create this bacteria that eats away at these chemicals so that we are able to reuse that water up to four times before we then need to responsibly dispose of that. And thirdly, in our India operation, we've actually just, just started now this, this year, um, uh, EVs being used for short haul transportation in the Northern part of India. Um, so that's also taking away the fuel and diesel consumption from um, some parts of uh, our operations. So all this put together are initiatives that we're committing to for the long term, finding again the collaboration with the right partners to allow us to do this, uh, but trying to build that as the heart of the operations. And a couple of that is a whole bunch of uh, training and responsibility elements to bring awareness to the, to, the, to the community and the team that we're around. But these are the big chunks that will have sizable impact that, that I can give you some examples of. Sure, good stuff. And I, and I think you must have a pretty efficient uh, communications manager somewhere in the business because I see you uh, pretty regularly on LinkedIn and uh, sharing information about what's been going on inside the business, especially across uh, the innovation and sustainability side. So well done on that. Um, Abhishek, talk to us a little bit about how COVID affected the business uh, yourself and, and, and the team. How did you manage? How was 2020 for you in that respect? Yeah, so I think, you know, everyone says that, hey, you're a supply chain logistics company. 2020 must have been a knockout for you, right? Um, because the, the conception was that logistics companies did phenomenally well. Um, but, but I think the reality is it depends who your customers were, right? Uh, and which industry you serve. So um, uh, RSA, uh, from by design, we are quite a broad spectrum organization where we serve a variety of different industries. Um, so we had a, bit, a mixed bag, right, to, to say that. So one, of course, when it happened and everybody was unaware and this whole lockdown capability and, you know, we are an essential service, but some of our customers aren't essential, all that ambiguity caused a lot of issue. Um, then you really realize the power of leadership, the power of communication, and the power of uh, um, um, having the right message sent on a daily basis to your team to keep them aligned and clear and, and, and sort of thank them for whatever they were doing in this sort of tough period. So 
we had a variety of customers. So if you take my food business, for example, that we serve um, in the cold chain, um, all the customers we serve with regards to wh whose customers were the QSRs, the quick service restaurants, obviously they had a very tough time because they were closed down immediately. But all of our manufacturing customers had an incredible increase in, in, in demand. And, and of course, they were holding buffer stock uh, in addition to that. So I think there's, there's a variety of different elements when it comes to how this impacted. But the biggest thing for us that happened was um, um, we saw the demand for e-commerce, right? Which I think is, is no uh, secret to anybody. I mean, that was a global phenomenon of, of more and more of, uh, businesses trying to do that. But for us, it was it was something that I would say in hindsight, we weren't fully ready for uh, at the start of the pandemic. But to credit to our team, the way that we've created the product suite, implemented the technology that we've been working on since 2018, um, to be ready for all this. Um, and, and we actually had one of our strongest quarters in Q4 of 2020 um, for a long time. So not only did it help you uh, um, look internally, optimize cost, restructure what was appropriate, um, um, and, and, and really help us grow, we actually ended up recruiting extra people. Um, and I'm very proud that we never let anybody go um, during this period. And, and you know, people made their individual sacrifices, company made the sacrifices and we stuck together as, as one sports team uh, right throughout. Oh, well done and uh, yeah, congratulations holding your team together. And uh, I know uh, many organizations have had to let people go over this period, but uh, no, inshallah, the uh, the business has, has been booming back up again in the, the Middle East and many other regions around the world. Uh, business is picking uh, up very, very strongly again. So uh, we, we trust that will continue for you guys as well. Um, look, I just wanted to, before we wrap up, I just wanted to uh, touch base with you on what you see maybe is uh, two or three of the key trends uh, that are happening in business that are interesting you at the moment. Um, you know, I know you're involved in a range of other businesses and startups and incubators and especially around the technology space. Some some things you probably can't talk about just at this point but um, of the gestation, but talk to us a little bit about for a couple of minutes uh, about where those trends are that you're seeing that are interesting you. Absolutely. So, so I think the, the, the supply chain industry as a whole um, uh, was already going through a pretty large, uh, uh, what I would call a seismic shift, right? That, that sort of happens um, every sort of 50 years uh, in, in supply chain, how things move. Um, and, and this is a big one. But this, this, this last six, seven years has seen data become so powerful. And finally, logistics, which was an unsexy business from a finance perspective, became a sexy opportunity. Um, to the VC world, to finance world. And that's been driving because it's a truly global problem that has ample opportunity to really manage it overall. Um, so when I see the trends of what's going to happen in this space going forward, there's a couple of things. So one is there's going to be continued request or demand for complete vertical integration, right? Uh, vertical integration, by, by, by that I mean that there's a complete element of um, uh, uh, customers expecting you to have control over the entire stream, whether it be uh, road, sea, or air that the car cargo might move by, then on land, whatever's going on with the warehousing and the fulfillment and the likes. Secondly, the e-commerce transition is going to actually put a lot of the other companies out of business um, who aren't able to adopt to that kind of a business model because it's very different to the traditional way that logistics was done from the B2B side. Um, uh, if they don't adapt quickly enough so that they have that service offering along with the others because it's sort of a, a complete suite of, of elements. And third is the use and adoption of 
new ways of interacting with being man and machine um, is going to be very important. So whether it be API toolkits or voice as the next element of uh, um, interaction that goes forward, it's going to be an important part of, of how we see the industry change forward. And last trend that I think is going to impact us the most is this new element of localization. Um, localized sourcing, um, these just-in-time inventories. People talk that it will never go back. I still think we'll have a blend of both, but people will always have caution in place now. Uh, so they will try and hold a much more inventory closer to the market. And we're seeing that all across in very large manufacturing markets such as India and China, um, uh, but also them moving product closer to their customers, which, for example, uh, a demand center like the Middle East or Africa, because all of those areas have um, high consumer demand. So these are some of the larger elements that I see going forward that, that will change the way that we think about the business, um, the, the way that our customers are now starting to redesign the supply chains um, and how we need to be at the forefront of that. Um, and having said that, I, I knew that it was a, a, an element that would come, but obviously not this quick. Um, so we actually took the position to, to, to uh, fund and, and co-found a couple of technology companies through to 2018 and 19 to help us in our, in our own digital transformation uh, as RSA, but also offer this to the entire world um, as, as a product that is going to be required uh, to, to help transform our endless companies. Okay, awesome. We, we should watch this space uh, to see uh, see what comes off the uh, the building blocks and you guys in that, in that area. I know that you're working on a number of projects. At, uh, Absolutely. Announcements. Q1 this year, Q1 this year, you'll see a lot of <laughs> Okay. Well, well, maybe we come back to you and talk again once you've got some more to tell us. Uh, hey, quick one again, just before we wrap up, I, I know you're very big on um, on uh, getting involved in, in your team with, with talent sourcing, and we've been able to help you in various parts of the world in that regard. But uh, maybe you could just share with us one or two things that you really look for when you're looking to bring talent into the business, uh, what, are, what are the key things that are important to you as a, as a leader? Yeah, so I think culture has been high on my personal agenda just because I have a passion for it uh, overall. So maintaining and scaling culture, I think, is, is quite a, uh, a daunting task, especially when you start running um, multi-country um, um, operations because it's very difficult. And also, like we did, we did an M&A in India, for example. So merging that culture, building that culture, and, and building that out into what we see the future as um, has its own challenges. But I have really approached this in our organization, and RSA today is, I would say, fairly well-oiled machine for that, is what is the recruitment process, right? And, and I'll talk about two main things in that that I think are unique uh, um, um, that we have picked up from, you know, reading, et cetera, from others that, that we have now inculcated in our process that, that has helped us get good talents that hopefully can perform at a very high level uh, and be culture, culture uh, co-founders in the company. One is that every um, uh, team member or employee that comes in ab above a certain level, what, what, what we, are, we are doing what we call a culture interview. Um, and this culture interview is we take uh, random people from the company um, um, to come in and basically ask them a set of predetermined behavioral questions to see how they would react when it comes to our value system and what are, because within our value system, you have complete freedom to play. But so how would you basically do within that? And, and outside of that, of course, it's not acceptable um, um, outside of that value system. Um, so that that gives us a, uh, a very good insight that is not technical. It is not about education. It's not about your past. It is just challenging the person's culture and, and their, their independent uh, virtues. 
Um, uh, and if anybody has a veto, unfortunately, we pass on that candidate. So it, it gives a lot of autonomy and power to why that's so important because people feel ownership of bringing talent into the company. And second is, after that entire process is done, um, I as a CEO uh, meet every single candidate that has uh, been offered a job or is just about to be offered a job. And I simply ask them one question for a 15 to 20 minute call. And it is that, do you take on the challenge of becoming a cultural co-founder with me? So what that does is it, it gives them, it's a rhetorical question. I said, I will never know the answer, but hopefully it puts that expectation in them before they join that this is the expectation of the founder of the company. And they have a direct line of communication with the CEO at any point in time to talk about things they'd like to do to become a culture promoter or what they're seeing that is actually detracting from the culture. I think those two elements help us build a very, very independent team that when they hire their own people, hopefully that should help the culture scale uh, as the company is continuing to grow. Awesome. Um, I, I had one shared with me the other day uh, by a long-standing client in Australia, and that was that he, he, he asks every candidate, tell me one thing that you're famous for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> tell me one thing you're really, really proud of. And it's surprising, <laughs> you, he finds 50% of people actually have to think hard about that. And the minute they have to think about it, you guys, maybe they're not the person I'm looking for. So a little bit subjective. But uh, hey, hey, uh, Abhishek, you really appreciate you taking time with us. So I'm going to ask you one more question. Um, and it relates to, I mean, you are the youngest CEO, certainly anywhere that I've seen in the Gulf and probably in the 22 years of running this executive search and corporate advisory business uh, globally. Um, you, you are certainly the youngest uh, that we've come across. So uh, kudos for, to you for that and, and well done to the family and your achievements. But uh, the question I have for you uh, that I always ask our guests to share is if there's a couple of things uh, that yourself as a, as a leader, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur would like to share with the community, with uh, those listening to us today and watching, what would they be? Some, a couple of tips to help people through 2021. So I think the, the, the biggest messages for this year is um, um, the amount of new innovation and ideas that will be forced on, upon people because of whatever the, the global situation might be. It's just think about what happened in 2009. We had a whole bunch of startups that came out of that because people were out of work or didn't have anything to do. So the thing is, find good people. Talk to people about ideas and, and, and problems and just have great conversations because you have no idea what could come out of those conversations, right? Just keep an open mind, keep connecting, use tools such as LinkedIn to connect with like-minded people and just understand what's happening and understand these trends, right? So I think connecting with people and understanding what there is will allow you to have a really good opportunity to see what's going on in the industry um, or any industry that you're in and how you could potentially be a part of that. Second is don't lose the hunger at all, right? So keep learning, um, you know, there are these 10 or 12 trends that people are talking about that are gonna shape the next 20 years of, of the human race um, from biotech to AI to whatever it might be. So pick two, three topics out of those and just become a, not master of it, but to some level of depth where, so you can have uh, good conversations about that because that hunger to learn can only come from you within because when you have that subject matter expertise to a certain degree, opportunities and, and networks and, and, and doors will open for you. And thirdly, I think the most important element is all of us have understood the value of personal health, mental health, family time. And at this point in time, try and find that balance in whatever way you possibly can do. For me, it's uh, about you know, physical exercise, um, you know, and, and I've, been, I've been on a personal journey myself on that. 
Some people it's meditation. Some people it's purely time with family. I think having those three things, regardless of what role you are in life, will always be key values that would help you survive through any period because you can connect, you can think, you can put things together and hopefully come up with an idea that can be of value to some customer at some point. Hey, well said and uh, really appreciate that's uh, clearly very heartfelt and I know that some of those issues you talked about are very close to your own heart. So uh, look, congratulations again. It's been a pleasure knowing you over the last couple of decades and uh, and watching the development uh, both from your personal and the company perspective. Um, best wishes to you, the company and the family and uh, we look forward to hearing more about your exploits in the future. Thanks again for uh, sharing your time. Abhishek Shah. CEO and uh, one of the founders of RSA Logistics. Thank you so much, Kim. Really appreciate it. Uh, um, and hopefully we'll talk again sometime soon. Have a great day. Yes. Take care. All the best.